Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you want someone to talk shop with that sat in your chair, I've got you. If you want to become a legendary leader for the team you lead, hit me up and hit me up soon. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Kevin Canarium, Chief Revenue Officer for Clary. Kevin has a fantastic history of sales and sales leadership, primarily selling enterprise technology. He's got a proven track record of over 20 years in building and leading record-setting sales organizations, ranging from early-stage companies to large enterprises. He understands how to get into high-growth mode and, more important, how to stay there. Now, Kevin's seen high-growth from virtually every angle, from iconic market leaders like SAP and Oracle to the high-flying SaaS companies like the role he has with Clary right now. Clary helps sales leaders solve forecasting challenges as well as provide mechanisms for opportunity management in the coaching process. But Chris is a practitioner that has to solve these very same problems for his own high-growth team, and that's why I was so excited to have him join us today. Kevin has a unique insight based on his experience, how he serves his customers, and maybe most important, how he solves these problems in his own organization. I'm super excited to have him join me in what I think is an important conversation. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited about the opportunity to chat. Yeah, I'm excited to have you as well. I'm a fan of the company uh, for a long time. I think you guys have done great things for the sales leadership world, and I cannot wait to get into the two things we're planning on talking about today. So thank you. Um, Why don't you start by introducing Clary to our listeners and what it is you guys do for your customers? Yeah, Rob, thanks. And look, you did a pretty good intro, right? Forecasting is a part of what we've done. We do. You know, and I'd argue that forecast is actually probably the most important number for any company because it's a direct input in the operating plan of the company. So what does Clary do? We're providing basically the instrumentation for your entire revenue go-to-market team to understand where they are, how engaged they are with their customers, how engaged those customers and prospects are with them, And we're applying AI and machine learning to help the human make better decisions, to help the human spot risk, and to help assist the human in providing a forecast, you know, or if you want to call it revenue confidence back to their company. And I think for the first time, we're actually giving something back to revenue teams that they never had before. They've only had systems that have taken from them. Nothing's ever actually helped them do their job better. I like that a lot. I think that you're dead on when you say forecast might be the most important metric. Uh, I, I, I know that the forecast accuracy has been one of the biggest problems facing sales leaders for the last several years in a row. It's always, it's been number one for at least the last three years. Um, I don't know if you know Jim Dickey. Jim Dickey's a very good friend of mine and uh, he ran uh, CSO Insights for a while and now he's 
doing private practice again in sales mastery. And he shared with me that uh, only about 46% of deals that were commit to close actually closed. And what's funny about that, Kevin, is your odds of winning in Vegas, if you're good at craps, is 49%. So if you are in a world where your chances of winning in Vegas are higher than your forecast coming in, something's wrong. And, and I love that you're taking an approach to solve that problem. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been, I've been in all size companies and I've been in a lot of big companies and you just see the forecast evaporate as yeah. the quarter closes, right? And the deals that made it up aren't even a part of it anymore. So I'd say even in some bigger companies, it's probably less than that 46%. So I'm going to start our conversation with that. But before we do, so I'm going to put a placeholder there because this is a big deal and I can't wait to get your insight on, on how we do some of those things. I'm really interested in your story on how you got into sales. Most, most of the time I, I hear that, you know, I didn't plan on, on being a salesperson and then you find it and you're accidentally involved and then you can't get away because you love it. And we've become intentionally successful, even though accidentally involved. Can you share your story of how you got into sales and ultimately how you got to Clary? Yeah, Rob, if you let me rewind the tape a little bit and indulge me. Um, you know, yeah. as a kid growing up, um, you know, I was always trying to earn money. If it was uh, collecting and selling golf balls that I found in the creek to golfers, if it was, you know, painting folks' houses, shoveling snow, uh, mowing lawn, delivering papers, whatever I could do to make a buck. Uh, in college, my, my major was food marketing. Um, and, you know, career path for that would have been consumer products, retail sales rep. Um, but there was a company interviewing on campus, Anderson Consulting, and was offering an opportunity to really get into technology. Now, at that time, cool. I didn't know how to use a computer. I didn't even know how to type. Um, <laughs> I just thought I got an opportunity to learn, and I was competing against the smart kids for the job. Um, ended up getting hired, and pretty soon took a, a marketing salesperson in his room and learned how to code, um, which, you know, is, is a tough thing for a non-engineering major. Um, always knew I was a sales rep, but what I got out of my four years at Anderson Consulting now essentially was I understood business process. I could mm -hmm. really look at a company and figure out how I can make them better. And I wanted to get into technology sales. And for someone with no track record of selling technology at that point, I had to find a role to move into sales. Uh, I went over to Siebel Systems, the first enterprise CRM as a solution engineer for a year. And after begging and begging and begging, by the way, the gentleman that ran the North American sales team at that point in time at Siebel was Bill McDermott, future CEO of SAP, future CEO of wow, uh, yeah. now. Uh, Bill gave me a shot. And from 2000 until today, I've been in a selling role. Um, and an uh, individual contributor for a long period of time. And once I got to a point in my career where I felt like I had something to give back to others, then I moved into a leadership role. Nice. I love that story. And you've been in leadership ever since in, in a lot of different places and with an impressive track record that, you know, we could spend the whole hour talking about your stories there. And we'll, we'll pull from those as we talk about these things. So thank you for sharing that. That's, yep. that's awesome, man. So let's talk about forecasts. Let's start talking about that first. Like we said, the, the, it's something that most people struggle with. You know, mm -hmm. I, I hear lots of jokes about how you got to discount the, the forecast and, you know, lots of things that people, you know, nobody trusts the forecast, right? Nobody right. just, nobody trusts it. And it's so important because it's the lifeblood and we make all kinds of decisions as leadership teams based on what we think is coming in. Right. But it's hard. Why first, why is forecasting traditionally been so hard? Well, you know, it starts to me, it starts at, at looking at each opportunity and really being honest about where you are in it and what are the gaps that you have in being able to move an opportunity through the funnel. And 
you know, every seller is different in what they're good at, right? Some are good at relationship. Some are good at business case. Some are good at closing. But none of them have all those skills, and some do, but across it. And then you get to the managers, right? Again, managers have certain things that they're really good at. They're relying on what the rep is telling them to give them an idea of where the opportunity is. And a lot of managers have to get into like deep inspection. We'll call it interrogation, if you will, to really understand where they are. And then they're trying to use that information to say, what skills can I count on and which ones can I can't? And as you start to roll that up, it is all art, right? Historically, right? It's all nuanced and art. There's no common lens to evaluate any of these things through. And that's why, obviously, you started to see sales methodologies come out to try and at least get a baseline of how people operate. But still, you're not collecting and capturing data. You're not analyzing it. And there's no one there assisting, you know, rep, manager, leaders in where we are and helping them call a number. And so most leaders, and the higher you go, the more time you're going to spend on a forecast, right? You got your, your Excel spreadsheet with 15 tabs and all these different inputs, and you're formatting it when you get it from sales ops. You're pushing it down to your team. You're collecting data. You're pushing it up. You're typing in notes. And then you're trying to regurgitate that to somebody else. It's telephone tag, by the way. The story changes from person to person. And by the time it gets rolled up, it's a week later, and the data's old anyway. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that sales, right, the organization responsible for bringing revenue in the company has been the least instrumented, the least processed uh, of all lines of business within a company for years. I'm writing a lot down. I've already burned through my first page and a half of notes as you've been talking. I, I got lots of things I could look at. One of my first things that we talk about that I want to dive into and maybe go down this hole a little bit is it sounds like too much of a forecast traditionally has been dependent on like manual inputs and, you know, whatever lens the salesperson happens to be looking at when they do their, their own piece of the forecast. Agree, disagree. I mean, is that, is that a, how big of a problem is that? How big of a problem is that? Lens number one, right. Is how that sales rep perceives where they are in an opportunity. Yeah. Right. That's, that's lens one. And then lens two is how well that laid that leader interrogates that rep to really understand the truth. It's funny that you say that. I wrote an article on how to do a great pipeline review and I call it, I call it dirty Harry syndrome. I don't remember if you remember the dirty Harry movies with Clint Eastwood. There's a scene where he's pointing the gun at the, at the the bad guy and they're laying down like by a dumpster. And he says, you got to ask yourself one question, right? Do you remember what the question is? Do you feel lucky? Well, do you punk? Right. And so too many times I think, I think salespeople feel like they're on the end of Dirty Harry's gun and their sales managers asking them, you got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Right. Well, do you punk? Right. And, and that's why people, you know, I, I think there's just so much. Well, I got some people that have happy years on and they over forecast. I got other people that won't forecast anything until it's signed. You know, they, 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 and both of those are equally bad in my mind right? Because you're not getting the word. I loved what you said, and I think it's going to be the title of our episode. You meant the word you used was revenue confidence. And Mm -hmm. right now in the environment we're in, I think revenue confidence might be more important than it's ever been. You you know, I'm fortunate. I get to talk to a lot of sales leaders in my role and there's really three things that all of them we're, we're talking about. Am I building top of funnel that is going to support my next four quarters of business? Because the boards are asking for not just this quarter, not just next quarter. They want to know what the future looks like, right? That's right. 
Um, second is in a virtual world where we're working from home, how do I know that my teams are um, active and are engaged against the right opportunities? So, you know, it's this level of activity and the right kind of activity. Um, and then the third, obviously, is uh, can I freaking call a number based on where we are with all of the challenges and obstacles that we're facing because of COVID and the environment that it's created? Of those three, which is the hardest? I think, you know, really being able to look out and see, you know, what, the, what, is the, what is the business look like in one quarter, two quarters, three quarters, four quarters? Do I know that I can build the amount of pipeline I need to sustain growth with all of the uncertainty that COVID has provided us? Yeah. And so it's looking for behaviors that suggest things are moving in the right direction. So what do you propose? I mean, what, 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 we have several thousand sales leaders listening right now and they're like, okay, no shit. I know that yeah. forecasting is hard, right? So what are some thoughts and things that you've seen that help solve that problem? Yeah, well, there's, there's kind of two things, right? There's the existing CRM systems just take, they don't give anything back, right? Okay. And that's why you've added Excel and that's why you've added analytics to try and- Agreed. Around, right, so imagine now if we could give sellers and leaders back information that says, hey, let's compare where your opportunity is to what a healthy opportunity looks like as it moves through the funnel. Give you a guide of, are you ahead, are you behind, where do you have a gap? And then, you know, it's not just about that sales rep and the one person interacting with, but we sell by teams, especially if you're a SaaS company, right? You have this continuous customer journey and you've got all this supporting cast that needs to be engaged with your customer. How do you actually measure engagement? How do you know what's happening top of funnel, middle of funnel, demand gen, rep, and be able to collect all that information, understand, again, I'm engaging with customer, are they engaging back with me? Okay, so I want to talk about that. Let's sit yeah. on that one for a minute, because I thought I wanted to go into modeling what a good deal looks like. I call it modeling awesomeness. How do you model what awesome looks like, right? I'll probably come back to that if we have time. Yeah. But this concept of measuring engagement, I'm super interested in that, you know? Are there things that, like the layman, there are things that, like, all, I got all these leaders. Okay, so how do I measure engagement? How do I do that? Yeah. So your reps have multiple ways to engage with a customer, right? There's the traditional phone call. There's email. There's calendar. There's LinkedIn sales navigator. There's all different ways of prospecting. So think about you're in the last three and a half weeks of a quarter, Rob, and you've got your committed deals. And right. you're looking at those deals, and you know what? The CRM stuff looks good, right? Reps got like close date, signature date, EB identified. But what if that customer hasn't engaged with them in three weeks? What if they haven't opened one email, right? What if there hasn't been one meeting on the calendar? What if we haven't engaged with the power base yet? Is this really a good deal, or does it just look like a good deal in CRM? How do we really know that this thing is moving through the funnel to closure? So I love that, Kevin. I, I call that we got to transform customers from spectators to participants, mm-hmm. right? I remember that. My all-time favorite movie is Gladiator. I remember the scene. Someone asked me this two weeks ago on a podcast, and I said Gladiator. Too. Yeah, man. So you'll remember. If that's your favorite show, like I watch that show a couple times a year still. Yes. And uh, it's like a bit of rite of passage for me to have my sons watch it with me as they got older, old enough to watch it, right? And there's a scene when Maximus first – uh, learns that he's, his, he's going to be a gladiator and he's, it's, he's told it's not enough to win. You got to win the crowd. You probably remember the scene. And yeah. the next fight, he takes care of five people in spectacular form. 
and they're all cheering and he takes one of his swords and he chucks it and mm-hmm. it lands in the crowd and it knocks this bowl over and everybody goes silent and he yells, are you not yet entertained? Right. Yeah. And, and so I've always felt like that's sometimes how salespeople feel. They're chucking their stuff at people and saying, are you not yet entertained? Right. And I, I think that it's a massive thing. I think that if you can start coaching and forecasting based on the engagement level of a customer rather than the activity level of a rep, that's a game changer. That's, that's, that's going from fog to rose colored glasses when you can say, so from single and seeing in, you know, flat riding to seeing in three dimension, right? Yeah. You need that signal data, right? Especially in a virtual world where you're not in front of that customer personally anymore. So let's talk about, I don't want to talk so much about how, how you use technology to measure it, yeah. but how do you coach people to create engagement with customers? Does that make sense? To yeah. go from like, I've got my sales pitch to now they're a, spect- they're a participant. So they're doing things. They're, I'm able to give them homework assignments, for instance. And, and they're like introducing yeah. me to people or getting me meetings or getting me info or whatever. You know, how, do you, how do you create engaged uh, buyers? Yeah, I think it starts with, obviously, you're, you're hiring the right people. And, and for my company, the first thing I look for in a rep is curiosity. Mm. Are they curious enough about their customer to really get to know them, to really understand them, to figure out what is it? Because, again, they're, they're trying to get in my head, right? Head of sales, zero. What is it that motivates me? What are the challenges I face in my role? And how are you going to be more than just a piece of software but an expert in helping me actually survive my job, right? Helping me, you know, uh, move forward in my career. And so we work with our reps to be revenue experts, right? To, to understand their craft, to be curious and help bring knowledge and challenge their customer in a way where their customer feels like this guy's got this girl, this person has something to offer to me where I'm going to want to pay attention and engage with them. Kevin, that is something that I want to sit on now for a little, we're going to run out of time so fast. We're doing great right now, but I already know. I want, to, I want to deconstruct what you just said because I think this is something that everybody listening to the show needs to go back and do. Because you sell revenue solutions, you have your sales reps become, the title you used was revenue what? Revenue experts. They had to become revenue experts. So you're saying we need to make sure their business acumen around what we do. It's not just how the product works. It's around how we solve that problem. I love that. So, so when someone gets a, a sales call or sales experience from a, a Clary sales person, they are talking to a revenue expert. They can have the conversation go all kinds of different ways. And whether you buy from me or not, I can help you be smarter about revenue. Am I saying that right? A hundred percent. You know, what makes me more proud than anything is when one of my prospects tries to hire one of my reps. Bam. It it happens all the time. It starts, we we built a, we call it revenue academy, right? We we hire great sellers, curious people who are motivated and we we help them really understand the entire revenue process. And one of the great things is we we bring our customers in also to teach our our reps. Um, And we share this knowledge um, because we want to bring it out there into the field. So for people that aren't selling revenue solutions, the the takeaway from this is whatever problem you solve, fill that blank. And the the word that has to come after it has to be expert, right? 100%. 100%. Has to be not product expert, but the name of that problem expert. Yes. 
And you know, to earlier conversation, I mentioned my time at Anderson Consulting Essential. Yeah. Again, learning business process. I challenge any sales rep, again, you're, you're a great sales rep, but to your point, Rob, really learn and understand your whatever you're selling, how it impacts a company's business process, how it really is going to make a difference for that company. It's not about future functions at the end yeah. of the day. Kevin, I think here's why. I mean, there was a time back when I started my career as a salesperson, and maybe you, I don't know, I'll be interested here, that customers needed me for product information. They needed me. They had to get my product information because if, if I didn't talk to them, they weren't going to get it and they couldn't fill out their little spreadsheet with option A, B, and C unless they talked to me. So at least I had a chance, right? Today, they can find anything they want to find out, tons of places. So as a salesperson, I think that I think business acumen as your product relates to the company is more important than it's ever been. And I tip my cap to you that your focus is on becoming revenue experts since you're selling a revenue solution. I think that's really insightful. And I think a lot of people talk that language, but you're actually doing that. Yeah, thank you. I, I, do, I do think it's important. And, um, you know, it's funny. I also get pitched to a lot, right? I get a lot of, of down. And it's, you'll, you'll pick the ones, you know, like, wow, I, I learned something from this person. Let me take a call, right? If you if you offering something that's going to, I'm going to learn from, it's going to help me be better at my job, then yeah, I'm going to listen. But if it's just that you send me six emails in a row, hey, yeah. did you see my last I'm not going to pick that up. Yeah, and if I'm in the middle of a, of a sequence on, in your outreach system or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's super insightful. So, uh, so now that we've talked about that that's important, any best practices that you might give people if they want to teach their reps to become their equivalent of a revenue expert? Sorry, I know we didn't plan on going here, but this is so yeah. cool. I just Yeah, no, for, for sure. Um, obviously, you, you got to really understand what is the major business uh, pain point and what is the business impact your solution is going to have for a customer, right? And again, it's like, who's your target persona? In my case, it's me. Um, you know, but, it, but if you're selling me a security, what is the, what are you gonna, what is the business impact you're going to have for a CISO and their company, Right. If you're selling a collaboration tool, right? Knowing the persona and the company and really being able to address business impact, strategic growth initiative, I think is super important. And I think you've got to be able to talk in terms of dollars even. You can't just say, hey, this would be a big deal. You got to be able to help calculate the size of the impact, right? Yes. And that's yeah. not ROI. I want to say that to our listeners. That is totally different than ROI. ROI is what your product will do. What you're talking about is why the, what's the value of solving the problem. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Is this a big problem that's worth solving? If so, we have something we'd love to show you. If it's not worth solving, we're going to move along. You'll never have to kick us out because if we can't solve a problem that's worth solving, we'll find someone who will. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. And that's a refreshing approach because that's, that's unique. Too many people are trying to do features and functions and do ROI calculators that everybody thinks is bullshit anyway. So <laughs> all right cool i i, I love that i that concept what else is there anything else that goes into measuring engagement you talked about curiosity you talked about becoming you know this expert that can create these engaged activities anything else that you would say um our listeners might think about doing as a sales leader to help create more engagement and transform spectators to participants yeah i mean obviously you're, you're looking at how are things progressing based on 
what a successful opportunity looked like that has historically gone through your funnel, how long it stayed in the stage. Um, but, but I'll say in this world of COVID, there's become some really important things, right? Um, budgets are either cut, closed off, and may not come back, right? So you're now in a world where you're competing for scarce funds in many cases. And so that's probably going to have augmented your sales process, meaning you might now have to engage with the CFO or help your primary buyer figure out how to engage with the CFO. And so do you now have the ability to, one, um, enable your team to include that sales motion? Do you have the content to support it? And can you now measure and understand as that CFO or finance person being engaged in the process? Um, in this environment, people want to trial product more. So is trial of your solution lead to a, uh, a better outcome, meaning a better close rate? So if you're measuring all of your opportunities and that is a leaning indicator of success, um, how are you tracking right across the portfolio? Um, if your customer or prospect is in an industry that is being negatively impacted by COVID, let's say they're in a headwind, you are going to need to treat that process differently, right? Versus a company that is in a tailwind like Zoom, yep. who might need a more creative agreement from you. So being able to understand impact and have different plays and programs associated with that, and they're going to gauge the movement of those deals very differently as well. Yeah, that's also insightful. You're right. Right now, I like that you pointed those things out post-COVID. There's a few things that have changed, absolutely. And so you, the way you create someone as a participant rather than a spectator has to change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for instance, um, I, I don't know what you're seeing, but I, yesterday I had a deal that I was confident would be closed by, by Halloween, right? He got on the phone with me. He's like, dude, I was in a planning meeting yesterday. It's a publicly traded company. You would know who they are. And he said, um, they tried to shut down four of my business yesterday, business units yesterday. He runs 10 business units. He said, they tried to shut down four of them. And uh, he said, so, you know, I've got to come back tomorrow. He goes, what we're talking about, we didn't even get to because I was fighting so hard to keep my business units open. And so people are facing different challenges, no yeah. doubt. And so you're right. Your process has to change. And what that really means to me is you better create different experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so an example, um, you've got a book of business, right? You're, let's just say you're, you're a subscription company, right? So you've got this continuous customer journey and you've got a book of business that's coming up for renewal. You don't want to just show up at time of renewal and say, let's renew. You want to understand what is the impact that I've given help this company with Two, how are they being affected by COVID? And you want to have a point of view at that renewal conversation and get ahead of that renewal conversation. You can't just expect they're going to renew, right? Mm. You need to, be able to, to show them what is the impact that we've had on your business. And two, um, you know, based on what you're facing, we might need to restructure what the go forward agreement looks like. Let me ask you a different question. I'm looking at time and we're, we're still fine, but it's starting to slip. I'm really interested in for you to put your sales leader hat on because you are one. How has the ways that sales leaders create impact change in the last, I don't know, since COVID hit, I'll call it six months. Oof, that's, I mean, a, a lot here. So 
I think first, right, we, we've had to recognize that this has changed about this has changed everything we do. Okay. For most sales leaders, they lived on the road, right? right. In front of customers in front. At of- least in the enterprise space. At least in the right. enterprise space. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I went from 100% on the road to zero. And, you know, so if you're a leader that leads from the front, how do you stay in the front, right? How do you engage with your team? How do you engage with your customer? How do you feel like you got a pulse on what's actually happening when you can't get out there into the field? And so that, for me, and for I think a lot of leaders I talked to was the first adjustment they had to make. Then it's, okay, our, our, our sellers, right, depending on the business you're in, some might also be unbelievably thriving. Others, you know, aren't seeing the revenue come in the way they wanted. A lot of, you know, maybe you had sellers that, you know, dressed really well and did, did meetings really well, but are terrible at remote selling. You've got to figure out how to help your entire team evolve, adjust into this new reality of virtual selling. And to your point, you're on meeting Zooms from the, the morning to the end of the day and they're back to back, right? So how do you have impact in those calls? So there's been a lot of just the, how do you evolve your team, motivate your team, and still have a pulse on what's actually happening when you don't have as much time? So I do one-on-ones with everybody in my organization. And I have a big organization. Wow. Making sure that you've, you've listened to them heard them and brought that feedback back and actually done something with it. If you sit in the back, you're going to miss the reality and you're going to wake up three, four, five months down the road and like, holy shit, things change and I have no command anymore. So I want to interrupt you, Kevin. I'm sorry I keep doing it, but you're, I'm yeah. just so into what you're saying. Did I hear you right? You do a one-on-one with every single member of your organization? I, so I don't do this every week, but I have okay. done it multiple times since COVID hit. Right? Wow. I've got probably close to 75, 80 people in the org. Yeah. I want to know how all of them are doing personally and work-wise. Obviously, for my leadership team and the next level down, I do regular one-on-ones. But when COVID hit, I want to make sure I had a chance to understand what was happening across the entire org. And then it's not just do it once, but do it again. That is really cool. I'm so glad you shared that. I've never heard someone say that before. So tell me why the one-on-one is so important to you. I, I don't want to assume. I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth. I'm a believer in the one-on-one. Uh, that's what I work on all the time is coaching, especially one-on-one coaching. So I, I want to dive into that with you first. Why is it so important that you are committed to making sure that you do it yourself yeah. and, and don't just ask others to do it? Yeah, no, look, I mean, to me, I, and, and again, I've hired most of this team, right, over the last two years. And so I feel I'm – I feel personally a part of their careers. My job is to help them do their job, right? It's a completely reverse pyramid. And so I want to understand in, you know, the Midwest, how is Joe's business doing? Um, how is your personal life, Joe? What are you feeling? What are you sensing? What's working in the organization? What's not? Give me a, give me a feel for the ground. Like I, I, I want to know what's happening at ground level so that I can make your job easier. And so to me, it's, it's super important to have that pulse and to collect this information and to affect change quickly. Mm. At the end of the day, they don't work for me. I work for them. Yeah. My entire job is to make them more productive and to, and to have life-changing years. And if, if I don't have any idea what's happening, I can't do that. I write that down. That's, I, I found that understanding what your understanding of the role is as a sales leader drives everything you do. You just gave me one of the best role statements I've ever heard that my entire, my entire purpose 
is to help people have life-changing events in their career. You said it better than that. And I'll go back and listen to it. Can you say that one more time? I think it's so important. Yeah, our, our listeners should hear it again. My goal is that my team have the opportunity to have life-changing years. And to me, that can mean a couple. It could be financial, right? It could be growth in the role. And hopefully it's, it's both of those. And I mentioned a name earlier in this podcast, Bill McDermott. Bill had a massive impact on me in my career. Um, took He's a legend, man. That dude's a legend. Yeah. Here, here was a guy that was willing to fly out to Southern California and throw his bag in the back of my, my shitty car at the time and go just prospect with me and see accounts, right? What that showed me was is the job of the leader is to help the people on the ground that are doing, that are doing the hard work. And so to me, it's, it's a reverse pyramid. And, and I'm only as successful as the opportunity that the, the folks below me have. Yeah, that, that I think is refreshing. Um, what do you think makes for good coaching? I mean, everybody talks about coaching. There's a million definitions on what makes for good coaching. I'm really interested for you who's so committed to it. What makes for good coaching? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, this obviously evolves as you, you get more mature and you have more experiences. But honestly, it's just, it's honesty. Being just completely honest with someone like, here's what's working. Here's what's not. Here's what I've seen in my career. Here's some areas that, that maybe we can work on. And, you know, the, the best thing any individual can do is build a team of their personal stakeholders that are going to help them grow in their career. You, you know, um, so I, I think it's just real feedback and honesty. All right. We really went off there, but I, I think that was helpful. We started this thing by talking about forecast as part of creating revenue confidence. Can you just talk for a minute on how leaders can help also create revenue con uh, confidence and just general opportunity management, which is different than forecasting, right? Yeah. How can they create revenue confidence? Either it's by coaching deals. I don't know, participating in deals, any like two or three things you'd say, Hey, sales leaders, these are a couple of ways you can help create revenue confidence, you know, on what you report, but also in the minds of your reps. Yeah. So let's start on the, the minds of the reps side, right? You know, reps get really into the details on their opportunities. Yeah. Right? It's sucked in. Sometimes you're spending so much time with one person, they might not actually see the reality of where they are. So leader's job is to leverage the data, understand and get on the same page with the rep and just say, hey, let me point out a few things. Like, you know, do you really have the executive buyer identified, right? Maybe you need to just go ask and have an honest conversation with the person you're engaged with. Are you the buyer? Can you get budget? If not, how can I help you get budget? So there's just sort of this honesty of like helping the rep really be, use the data and be transparent about where are they in this opportunity. And then they give them the confidence and the ability to have a conversation with the folks they're engaging with to see if they have a, 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 someone who's going to help them run something across the line. Mm -hmm. um, so I think from the rep standpoint and the manager standpoint, it starts by having this common lens to evaluate where they are. And the manager's job is to help that rep think through obstacles and red signals and risk and, and to move something forward. Um, for that manager who's rolling up the business, right, they need they're, they're, that first line manager would probably get the hardest job in technology and, and in sales, right? They no doubt. No they doubt. Hire. They got to be coached. They got to be, uh, you know, counselor. Um, they're responsible for the number and then they have to report a number up. Imagine if you could help that person have an accurate number that they could roll up, good or bad. Like, and I think this is the other thing that 
we're all transforming now because of data, right? We have, we have these meetings where we look at each other in the eye. We yep. have solutions that record our conversation and give us data back. That's right. The top of funnel systems that give us intent on, on you know, what's happening for, in our prospects. So we have all this data. Those that have evolved and have leveraged that have gotten better, those that have refused to evolve and engage with it, you know, especially in a virtual world, don't thrive anymore. And so at my, this point in my career, I feel like I've, I've evolved because of it. And if I didn't, you know, I think I'd have a very hard time. And so if we can look at this as this information helps us do our job better versus someone's trying to inspect me, right? right. You move to, all right, we're going to use the data to spot risk. Just like if you're flying a fighter plane and your radar is telling you somebody's coming up behind you with a missile, if you know what the reality is, you can take action earlier, right? That is really good, Kevin. I love, like, I love you sharing your insight on revenue confidence. I mean, A, you have to do it with your company. You, you have a board you report to. B, you're helping companies around the world do this. Um, this is really cool to get your insight in this. I, I like that you brought up uh, not feeling micromanaged, not feeling babysat. Uh, if you start having people or if you ever feel like you're babysitting or micromanaging, is that a sign you're doing it wrong? Yeah, 100%, right? You know, so I, How do you fix that? How do you fix that? But let me tell you why I ask because I get that a lot. So I work with organizations building coaching systems, uh, helping them have high impact in the things you are doing so well. And I yesterday was interviewing a sales leader. He told me that his biggest concern was having someone feel micromanaged. And so he was afraid of like trying to be helpful because he didn't want to be a micromanager. I have my answer for it, but I'm really curious to get yours. Let me give you an example. So, um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends are still in these big companies, right? And they have large sales teams. They have no instrumentation that actually helps them understand where people are spending their time. And they go through these massive exercises with spreadsheets of trying to collect, okay, this rep had 15 meetings, sent 100 emails. These meetings moved to here. We haven't covered these five personas in, in this prospect. Um, they're not creating enough pipeline, but they have no real way to gauge it other than manual. So imagine if all that information got collected automatically. So rep didn't have to put it in. Some ops team and managers didn't have to go inspect to create that. You just had the... The narrative says, hey, here's, here's where you are. Um, here's where, hey, maybe I need marketing to help do some ABM on this part of your business versus, versus just saying you're not doing your job. So I think data that is now analyzed as an equalizer for, for all revenue folks to actually have a real clear understanding of where they are and what they need to do to course correct or to accelerate uh, or to close gaps. Cool. We are getting close. I, I'm trying to think what I want the last topic to be before I wrap up the way we always wrap up, Mammy. But I'll turn around to you. I, let's ask you. So if you're talking to several thousand sales leaders that are needing to create revenue confidence, Kevin, if there was ever a time we need revenue confidence, man, it is right now as we go to the end. True or false? Now we need it more than oh, maybe ever 100%, before. 100%. That's the biggest thing they're all being asked for. Yeah. So any kind of two or three things you'd say, hey, do these things and you, know, and you can expect a little more confidence in your revenue. Anything you'd suggest? 
Um, let's see. One, it's, it's that ability to understand, are you creating the right pipeline? Mm. Is that pipeline progressing through the early stages? Is it against the right persona? Right? Okay. Yeah, I like that. So, so cause why boards are asking for views out into the next year, 12 years, because they're 12 months. Because 12 months. They what investments they need to make, right? Uh, so I think that's one, is the ability to understand pipeline. And what does that mean? That means that marketing, demand gen, and sales have to talk a, a common language, mm. have to look at the business through a common lens, have to have a shared KPI. It can't be marketing strong leads and sales saying these are crap, right? right. They have to actually agree on, on what good is and then measure against good. Um, and that's a that's a, a a topic of every conversation I have right now is, is top of funnel pipeline development. Okay. Um, next one is right. It's it's all of our reps are remote. Are they pointed at the opportunity? And I think this virtual environment has given us an opportunity to rethink our go to markets for many companies. How do we put now best athletes? against best opportunities versus geographies. Yep. So um, it gives, it's, it's forced us to get better at our craft, which is revenue. And two, it's forced us to rethink our go to markets. I like it. Right? And so if we can get better, right, we can provide more revenue confidence. So maximizing rev, uh, resources. And then, um, you know, three, it's, you know, we got to take care of our customers. Right? You can't just sell them something and, and run away. Yeah. You actually have to support them, engage them, enable them, keep them motivated to continue to do business with you. And I think, you know, if COVID taught a lot of my customers anything, it's that you really need to pay attention to your customer. Because if they're looking at budgets, certain things get cut. Things that have value, companies that provide value are going to stick around as a vendor. Those are so good, Kevin. Kevin, this is great. I, I, we're down at it now. I want to finish the way I always finish, and then we'll wrap the show up. This has been fantastic, man. I could talk shop with you for days. I'm glad, <laughs> you, live my, I'm glad you live in my backyard up here in Park City. I'm going to find a way to do that sometime. Um, so three questions, rapid fire. Are you ready in the last couple minutes that we got? Absolutely. Okay, number one, biggest sales leadership problem you see right now, and I can't wait to get yours because you have your own perspective, but also the perspective of all your customers that you work with. Biggest sales leadership challenge, and, and how do you beat it? Uh, I think the, the biggest one right now is just is engagement. Understanding are their teams productive, and what is what does good productive look like? Awesome, that's that is so insightful, man. I mean, too many people still base things on the seller activity and the seller engagement. It needs to all be buyer engagement. I think you're dead on uh, because that sales engagement. That's, I think, the big reason why we get so many false positives. Yeah. And buyer engagement are going to give you true reads, I think. At least, at least you'll be wrong less often. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, number two. When you're building teams, and you've built some great ones, right? Yeah. Is, there a, is there a really important interview question or interview topic that you look for when you're looking for people? And when you, when you leverage that question or topic, what is it you're looking for from the people you're talking to? Yeah, there's a bunch, but you know, one that pops up, which I think has been really helpful at Clary, is I also want to find like what is someone's superpower? Okay, kind mm. of odd word, but like what is there? There's one thing that they do so well that might not have anything to do with their job. Because what I found in hiring people at Clary is if we've hired people that 
that you know are curious, that have an acceleration mindset, but also have a special superpower, that's going to come out at a different point in time in the in the job. So Fritz, I'm a solution engineer. Turns out this guy makes incredible um, uh, uh, drawing videos that tell a story, and we're like. I got a marketing resource with the solution engineer, but I didn't even have to, you know, hire. <laughs> I've got another solution there that makes all of our videos. Um, so I try and find people that have other things that also make them special. Cool, really good answer. I like that too. Last one, man. Leaders are readers. We're finding that, you know, the great leaders are the ones that are never done in their journey on learning. Is there something you would recommend for our listeners if they want to continue to advance their leadership journey that you would suggest they get their hands on? Yeah, you know, one that I just read, I can read in front of me, it's called The uh, Trillion Dollar Coach by Bill Campbell. I would endorse that one. I've read that one. I'll shut up and let you tell everybody why, but great choice. What I like about this, right, is, is Bill kind of played this coach amongst all these different e-staps of companies he engaged with. And he was providing non-biased feedback and coaching. And if you think about what we're all doing today, this continuous customer journey takes the entire team, all the lines of business, doing their job collaboratively and well and supporting each other, right? It's the difference between, you know, the early bulls where it was just Michael Jordan into what became a full team that could actually operate and score and achieve together. So it's a great book on, on, uh, on building uh, and maintaining team. That was a fast show. Yeah, absolutely, man. That was a fast show. You brought some heat today, Kevin. All right, man. Well, you, you, made, you fired me up, man. <laughs> His name is Kevin Canarium. He's the chief revenue officer for Clary. If you are not familiar with Clary, go check them out. I can tell you they are a great company with a great product and they add a lot of value. Kevin, if people want to connect with you, uh, if they want to keep the story going, uh, if they want to learn more about Clary, how do they connect with you and your story and your company? Yeah. Hey, thanks, uh, Rob. My email is simple. It's Kevin K at Clary. Shoot me an email. Would love to uh, connect with you. Would love to chat with you. And you can find me on LinkedIn too. Okay. Yeah. Get, connect with the guy, follow what he's putting down. Great person to be connected with. Like I said, he's, 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 uh, he's creating revenue confidence with companies around the world, but most important with the one he leads, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining me and I wish you much success in creating revenue confidence everywhere you go and happy selling. Awesome, Rob. Thanks again for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. I am convinced that 2021 will be the year of the coach. If you didn't get that from this episode with Kevin today, go back and listen again. The coach will be a bigger difference maker in 2021 than ever before. This will be the year where the sales leader creates the biggest competitive advantage for the organizations they've ever led. So as you prepare for 2021, I want to help. Are your sales leaders ready for what 2021 will bring? Are you? If you want to take things up a level, hit me up. I'm putting together virtual sales academies, virtual sales and revenue kickoffs. But what I'm really finding is making a difference is building new leadership and coaching processes, providing one-on-one coaching and executive coaching to sales leaders in countries around the world. And my program helps in three areas, mindset, skill set, and performance. As you prepare for what will most certainly be a new environment in 2021, every single sales leader is going to have to adapt. And I'm here for you. I don't care if it's by joining my Patreon group, Sales Leadership United, maybe it's choosing some fast-track training for your new managers, 
or it might be developing a new leadership process or even custom executive coaching programs. I want to help you create as much impact as possible with the people you lead. Listen, I'm helping big companies with lots of leaders. I'm helping small ones with just one leader. Doesn't matter how big you are. I want to help if you want to be legendary because how you lead matters. Let me help you navigate that sales leadership maze. Now, what a killer conversation with Kevin. Clary is a super cool company, and I loved getting a sense of Kevin's approach to leading um, the growth of such a successful company. One of the things that was really interesting to me was he was taught leadership by Bill McDermott, someone that I think is one of the greatest sales leaders of all time. And the takeaway for me is that we should all be very intentional about who we pick for mentors. Be intentional about it because it will be a career changer. Now, the big part of this conversation was about revenue confidence and, and, and forecasting. And forecasting will always be one of the sticks a sales leader will be measured against. The reality is most of us suck at it. Forecast accuracy has been one of the top challenges facing sales leaders for years now. And it is not getting easier. It has always been so driven by manual entries and the lenses a salesperson looks through that it just hasn't been as scientific as it should have and could have been. So when Kevin says forecasting is like playing the old telephone game, he isn't exaggerating. And if you've ever played that, you know how much the message changed from the time it starts to the time it finishes. And that is so true with forecasting. So it got my attention when Kevin talked about measuring engagement of a customer as a primary way of forecasting. I want you to think about that for a second. How much have you transformed a prospect from being a spectator to becoming a participant? You know, are you finding ways to measure what they actually do rather than what the salesperson has done? So that means you have to understand the key experiences someone must have in order to buy and then learn to forecast based on the accomplishment of those experiences. This will fundamentally change how your reps engage your clients and it will make you much more effective in forecasting if you do it based on engagement rather than activity. Now, if you, if all you got from this podcast episode today is getting rid of activity-based forecasting, then this is a good episode for you. But I also think there's a lot to learn on the importance of curiosity. Kevin says it's the number one thing he looks for in a rep. And I think that it was interesting when he explained why, because he says he's going to train them to become a revenue expert. That's what Clary solves revenue problems, so they create revenue experts. And to be a revenue expert, they're going to require the rep to, rep to have this healthy amount of curiosity. And I loved how we dug into that. And he said, listen, you've got to have your reps become experts at whatever problem it is they're solving. Not experts at whatever product it is you're selling. Be an expert at whatever problem they are selling. So you need to ask yourself, can I call every member of my team fill-in-the-blank problem expert, right? You need to create a team of experts. You need to equip them to have a conversation that no other company can or will have with the prospects you're speaking with. Then, and only then, can every member of your team have a truly authentic business conversation with a business leader rather than a product one. This is such a massive difference maker, okay? So I'm going to say it again. How many of your reps could be called the problem expert? Now, as impressed as I was with Kevin's skillfulness as a sales leader, I was most moved by his commitment to his team. The fact that he's conducted one-on-ones with every single member in the org since COVID hit twice, man, that was an amazing example of, what com- of committed leadership. He, f- he said that he feels personally part of their careers, and he's genuine in his interest in the per, each person on his team. That just was so authentic. 
Um, I didn't think we we're going to talk about that. That just kind of bubbled up because that's such a big part of him. I can only imagine just like it was super impactful to me as someone talking to him. I can only imagine how impactful that has been for the people that work with him. Now, I don't know if you caught it. I sat on it for a minute, but I, I can't finish without talking about it now. <clears throat> I think maybe the most important thing we talked about was what he said that his role was as the sales leader. And his definition of role was to create life-changing events in their career. That was amazing. The fact that he wants each member of his team to have life-changing careers while working on life-changing years while working on his team. That's a standard every single one of us can benefit from. How do we become involved without being a micromanager? The idea that his mission to create life-changing years is so freaking awesome. This authenticity gives him power. It's a kind of commitment that creates trust and commitment back to him and to Clary. And in 15 years of me really working closely with sales leaders, I've never heard someone say that as beautifully as I heard Kevin say it today. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you for joining us today, Kevin. It was a killer conversation. I loved our conversation around creating revenue confidence by creating engagement, equipping curious salespeople, and remaining uh, in committed, authentic uh, leadership uh, relationships. And it inspired me, right? It inspired me. And I hope it's inspired the thousands of people that will listen to this. Kevin, you're fantastic. Thank you. And to each of you, our listeners, thank you. I appreciate the support of the show more than you know. I'm so appreciative to those of you that leave those five-star reviews. Mention us on LinkedIn. Tell your colleagues to check out our show. Your support is, the sh- your support is why the show continues to grow so fast. So here's to creating revenue confidence as a sales leader. Here's to engagement curiosity, and authentic commitment to team. This week, make it a week where you progress in your commitment to creating life-changing years to those in your organization. Help those around you feel the kind of commitment Kevin shared with us today. It will change the careers of every single person you work with. So thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks for sharing the show with those you work with. And as always, don't worry, just execute because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jeffson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.